It's great to be back with you after a, a week in Rwanda. And uh, thank you so much for your prayers and your support for me and Steve Ramser and Pastor Michael and prayers for our families as well in our absence. Steve and Michael are still there in Rwanda, and Michael actually preached this morning. We're, we're seven and a half hours ahead of them, but he preached this morning at the Africa New Life Church, uh, which is a part of the Africa New Life Ministry, and on that campus is the Africa College of Theology, where myself and Michael and Steve were teaching a class to 30 pastors and ministry leaders. So I taught the first half, and then Michael and Steve have come in, and they're teaching the second week, this coming week. So please be in prayer for them and their families. And I apologize in advance if the jet lag suddenly kicks in right during the middle of this message, and I go cross-eyed. Um, just want to get that out of the way. But it's so encouraging to see new countries and new people and meet new brothers and sisters in Christ from around the world and know that although we come from very different places, we are one in Jesus. The same Spirit of God indwells us both. Those of you who, who travel quite a bit know that as we go around the world, the world has not become bigger but it becomes smaller as we form new connections and new friendships that can span continents. And if you ever get a chance to go to Rwanda to see what the Lord is doing there, uh, Pastor Roger, who's with us, he's been several times, but if you ever get a chance to go, please go, because the Lord is doing some amazing work there through our mission partner, Africa New Life Ministry. And one afternoon, as I was going on a walk uh, through Kigali in our little neighborhood where our guest house is, I walked past a home where four Rwandan men were sitting out on the back porch. And one of them yelled over to me, Mazungu, which is just a word for white guy. <laughs> and, and so they waved me over, and so I went over there and, and visited with them, and and I began to talk to them and, and see, you know, what they do for a living. And they asked me where I was from. And I said, I'm from the great nation of Texas. <laughs> no, I just said, I'm from Texas. And, and the guy said, ah, Donald Trump. <laughs> and so I laughed about that, and, and we had a good time talking. And then one of the Rwandans asked me, how is Rwanda different from America? And I answered, Rwanda is, is very beautiful, and, and the people here are very nice and hospitable, uh, very similar to what you find where I'm from, kind of in the south part of the United States. And so we actually have more in common than we are different. We can laugh together. We have... Uh, we place great value on, on friends and, and family. And best of all, we share and we bear the image of God. We share a common joy 
we share a unity in Christ. And the Rwandans have been through great hardship and, and great suffering that is unimaginable to Americans in our lifetime. Because in, in 1994, just 25 years ago this spring, this small country the size of Massachusetts lost a million people in a span of 100 days in a genocide. Because there existed two major people groups, the Hutus and the Tutsis, and for many years there existed tension between these two groups. But on the evening of April 6, 1994, an airplane carrying the Rwandan president, who was a Hutu, was shot down as it was about to land at the Kigali airport. No one knows to this day who shot it down. But this event set off extremist Hutus, and the genocide began as Hutu neighbors began to attack their Tutsi friends and their neighbors. And the country is still healing from that tragic chapter in their history. But when I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ there, when we are raising hands next to each other in worship, when I'm there with Pastor Charles, who founded Africa New Life Ministries and who will be preaching at Wayside next month, and so I'm excited for you all to hear from him, we can connect on a deep heart level because of the joy and the unity that we have in Christ. So those are the two main themes of my, my message this morning, the joy and unity that we have in Christ. But after a time away from your spouse, your person, and, and your kids, there's nothing quite like the joy of coming home. Having that Uber drive, uh, driver drop you off there in the driveway, and you experience that excitement and that quickened pulse because you know that in a matter of seconds, you're about to walk through that familiar doorway and feel that familiar embrace and kiss from your wife, and you hear those three amazing words from your kids, welcome home, Dan. And as sweet as that is, as sweet as it is to meet new friends in Rwanda and worship with them, it really is just a foretaste of glory divine, just a hint of what it will be like when our time on earth is up. Because we, if we know Christ, the end is not a terrified feeling as you hold on to this life with a white-knuckled grip. Because there is no fear in death for the believer. It's like taking that slow rise to the top of that enormous climb on the biggest roller coaster at Six Flags. As the roller coaster heads up, that first incline, click, click, click. Oh, death, where is your victory? Click, click, click. Oh, death, where is your sting? And as you come over the rise, that first drop, you just hang there for a moment, weightless, with your whole life behind you, 
and there's no need any longer to hold on for dear life, you can feel free to raise your hands in reckless worship and abandonment because death is not the end for the believer. The best is yet to come. And our pulse should quicken with excitement during these final moments because if we have placed our faith in Christ alone, we know that our last breath here on earth will be followed with our first breath in glory. And as we experience that first embrace from Christ, it will seem so familiar because he created us. We are made in his image and we are now finally home. And those words whispered in your ear will not be, welcome home, dad, but welcome home, my son, my daughter. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. This morning, we're taking a break from our, our series in Luke. Thank you so much to Pastor Roger, Pastor Michael for their, their faithful ministry. We've enjoyed our time in Luke, and we're going to pick that up again next week. And then as Cameron said, we would love to see you at our, our church picnic right after this over there at Morgan's Wonderland. Folks from both campuses will be together in, in fellowship, and we'll be out there until 5 o'clock. So come on out anytime. We have the whole park to ourselves. Admission is free, so bring friends, bring family, bring whoever you want. We would love to see you out there. This morning, we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew and two verses, three verses in Matthew 13. So let's read Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a treasure it is to know your son, to know that, that he pursued us, that he found us, that he called us to himself in faith, and that he clothed us in his righteousness. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of what you are doing in Rwanda through Africa New Life Ministries for all that you're doing to train up future ministry leaders to educate children through child sponsorships and to further your kingdom for your glory. Father, continue to bless uh, Pastor Michael and Steve Ramser. Watch over their families. And Father, I thank you for my friends gathered here. I, I miss them. I love them. Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them by your spirit and enrich their lives through your word as they grow more and more like you, Jesus? And Father, I thank you for Walt and Charlotte 
who are sitting back here in the back row as they just celebrated 68 years of marriage together. We thank you for this couple. We thank you for their faithfulness to you and to one another and their family. Lord, I pray for each person here. Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them by your spirit? Enrich their lives through your word as they grow more and more like your son, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Up until this point in Christ's ministry, he had been doing miracles. He had been healing them, showing displays of divine power, and he had been teaching them and instructing them on, on a number of different issues. But here in chapter 13, Jesus begins teaching them in parables. We see his use of parables for the first time here in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel. And we see seven parables here in Matthew 13. The first four parables are primarily agricultural in nature, using that which relates to people's everyday lives. The word parable is an interesting word. It comes from two Greek words, para, which means alongside or next to, and balo, meaning to throw. So parable means to throw alongside because a parable makes a comparison between something that is known, a known truth, usually from everyday life, and an unknown one. And it throws these two truths alongside each other in a way that the reader can relate to and identify with. And Jesus starts using these parables here in Matthew 13. And the disciples notice this change, and they come to Jesus and they ask, why do you speak to them in parables? And we see three reasons why. Number one, to reveal truth to his followers, the disciples, to make known to them the mysteries of the kingdom. Number two, to hide truth from the religious leaders who rejected him. And then three, to fulfill Old Testament scripture. Scriptures like Isaiah 6, 9, which says, the people are listening but not perceiving. They keep on looking, but they don't understand. In Psalm 78, I will open my mouth in parable. I will utter things hidden from the foundation of the world. Jesus preached the word of God, and many people heard, but they did not understand. They saw, and they did not truly perceive because of their hardened hearts. And here we see two parables two stories of two treasures and one who is willing to make a sacrifice, not just willing, but actually giving up everything for one purpose. This is one of the shortest parables here in, in verse 44. It's just one verse, but it's a story of a man 
who finds a hidden treasure in a field. And you've probably heard this story. In ancient times, there were no banks or, or safe deposit boxes. So people often hid their valuables or, or they buried them. So if war visited them, as it often did in, in Palestine, and people were suddenly forced to flee, the hope was that they could return later on and still find their valuables right where they had hidden them. On my flight to Rwanda, I read this book from uh, Charles, Pastor Charles, who's, who's there at Africa New Life Ministries, who's going to come preach here at Wayside next month. And, and the book is called The Noble Dream, and it's kind of about his life and, and how the ministry started. And Wayside has been privileged to support Pastor Ch Charles for the last 20 years, even before Africa New Life started. And so it's a great, it's a great little read. But in the book, Pastor Charles talks about how his family fled to Uganda when, when Charles was a child, and they were refugees. Uh, but at the time, Uganda was also facing a period of conflict and unrest. And one day, Charles, he tells a story about how his father took him outside, and they, they had a little box of, of money and they buried that money in, a, in the box. They put the box, they buried it, and they planted a yam plant, a, a yam plant on top of that box. So they knew, okay, that's where it is if we, if we need to flee. And then the mother later on buried their china set in the ground just to protect that because there was always fear of maybe somebody coming and, and, and ransacking their home. So this was a very common thing burying your valuables. And so this parable would have resonated with people in, in biblical times because most had probably done that very thing, buried some of their wealth to protect it. And the thought of stumbling upon a hidden treasure would have been a very exciting prospect at that time. The man in the parable finds this buried treasure while working on another man's field, another man's land. So we can surmise that this owner had no idea that it was there, or he would have claimed it for himself. During a time of war, many would die before they were able to come back to the land and find what they had buried. So perhaps that's what had happened to the original owner. It seems like this great universal moral law applied to the situation here, one that we learned from the time we were kids. Finders keepers. Can you all finish? Losers weeper. What a great encouraging truth. <laughs> but this man... If he had reported the find to the owner of the land, of course, the owner would have grabbed it for himself. And it's interesting that Christ doesn't pass judgment on this man's behavior because it's, it's, it's a little sketchy. His focus is not on the man's methods, but his focus is on the treasure. And how the man finds the treasure, it doesn't say. You know, perhaps he just stumbles upon it and then he reburies it 
And then he goes and sells all that he has, not just to buy the treasure, but to buy the whole field. And it would have been a huge sacrifice for this man. But he does it. And he does it not out of selfishness or greed, but from a place of pure joy. I don't know if I'd ever focused on those two words before when reading this passage. Verse 45, from joy, or some translations say, in his joy, because of joy over this treasure, the man gave up everything he had in this world in order to buy the field. Because of joy, he gave up all for one thing. Could you do that? Could you give up everything that you own for any one thing? Would you give up all for something? And if you're like me, you might be thinking, well, it depends on what it is. The significance of the treasure would determine how much I would be willing to give up. And then in our second parable, we see a merchant and a pearl of great value. And the merchant doesn't stumble across it like the man with the treasure and then need to rebury it. He doesn't need to buy the whole oyster to get to the pearl. But like the first man, he sells all that he has in order to obtain this pearl. He's seeking after this pearl. And when he finds it, he sells all that he had to possess it. We don't see it in the text, but perhaps it appears that he doesn't want to have the pearl to resell it later, but to keep it close to him as a prized possession. These two parables are linked together because they're speaking of the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus doesn't provide us further interpretation on the meaning of these parables like he does with uh, the sower and the wheat and the tares. And so, as a result, there have been a few different interpretations as to its meaning. One interpretation sees the man representing the believer and the total sacrifice that God wants from us as we seek the treasure of heaven and the kingdom to come. And I can see how that makes sense. And because, yes, we are to surrender all to Christ, but we can't sell or buy our way into heaven. We don't find or discover the key to the kingdom, faith, and then hide it. So perhaps these two parables more accurately reflect Christ. Christ is the man. And it's because it's Christ who seeks us, who finds us, and he draws us to himself in faith. We have two stories of two treasures. One is of the land, and one is under the sea. A buried treasure and a pearl. One clean and one considered unclean in Israel. And one perfect God-man who will give up everything to buy them both and make them into one treasure 
the church, one unified treasure in his hand. The buried treasure points us to Israel, God's covenant people. They are called in the book of Exodus, God's own possession. And the Hebrew says, God's special treasure. The high priests wore on uh, the breastpiece 12 jewels, 12 precious stones, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel, God's treasure. But Israel had been taken into captivity and was hidden away. As we see in Hosea, Israel was like a stick on the waters. They had been cast out of the land, and they went through captivity under the Babylonians and Assyrians and the Persians and now the Romans. And they were like a treasure hidden in the field, the world, and they were buried and they were dead. But along comes a man, Christ, who delights and finds great joy in finding what is buried. And these two parables relate to our themes today, joy and unity, because we see that Christ died on the cross in his joy. It's because of joy that he found you and me. And if you're like me, when he found you, you were a mess. I was a mess. I was buried and dead in my sins and my transgressions. But Christ, through his death, conquered sin and death. He found us and he brushed us off and he gave his all for us so that he could then possess us as his own people. And he did it not out of pity or, or out of obligation. He did it because of joy. It's his delight that he gave up everything. Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Although Christ was rich, for your sake he became poor. He emptied himself, Philippians 2. He sacrificed all, even to the point of death. Death on the cross for you and for me. And then we see this merchant who finds the pearl. Who does the pearl represent? The Gentile, us, the church. On the chest of the high priests, like I said, were these 12 jewels, but there was no pearl because the pearl came from an oyster. An oyster was considered unclean. They were bottom dwellers, and this speaks of the Gentile, the church. And the merchant, seeking this pearl, he goes from wealthy to broke for this treasure. As one scholar writes, pearls are formed because of an irritation in the tender side of an oyster. And there is a sense that as the church, we were formed out of the wounds of Christ. And in his joy, Christ sold all, the same payment, to buy back the Gentile. He poured out his life unto death. We were in bondage, but Christ stepped in, and he paid the ransom. And the price he paid was his own blood. The first man buried the treasure. 
The second man doesn't buy, he, well, the first man, he doesn't buy just, he, just the treasure, but he buys the whole field. Just like Christ not only died for us, but he died for the sins of the whole world. Past, present, and future. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Number two, Christ died on the cross in his joy and for our joy. Christ died for our joy. Elizabeth Elliot wrote, the secret of joy is Christ in me, not me in different circumstances. The Rwandan people have been through so many difficult circumstances. You go to the genocide memorial and the museum, and it is so powerful. As you hear these stories from survivors who may have been the only person in their whole family to survive the violence. But yet, you speak to them, and they are a people of great joy, and their joy is in Christ. Christ died willingly for our joy, but it doesn't mean that we won't experience suffering in this life. We will experience disappointment and pain and loss, but we cling to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.10, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We will struggle. We will have sorrow, but in the midst of our pain, we can rejoice in the one who gave up his all so that we would one day be in the kingdom where gone will be the sufferings of this world. And then number three, Christ died on the cross in his joy for our joy and for our unity. These parables speak of the kingdom, the mystery of the church where Christ takes natural-born enemies and he brings them together in one body of Christ family together, brothers and sisters in Jesus, and future citizens together in the kingdom to come. After the genocide in Rwanda, there is no longer Hutu and Tutsi. No longer do you have to carry this identification card that told others what you were. They're all now Rwandans living together as one people in peace. And when we see this diversity in unity, we see great beauty and sweetness. Psalm 133, how blessed are brothers and sisters who dwell together in unity. It's like oil upon the head. It is sweet. And when we see this unity in diversity, we see the signature statement of God as God's eternal nature is one, but he is diverse as Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect accord, in perfect subordination. Father, Son, and Spirit together in perfect love. And that's the beauty of the, of the cross. It's the great equalizer when we come in here on 
Sunday morning, we can check our egos at the door because it doesn't matter if you are a rich or poor, a PhD or a GED, young or old, student or CEO, Jew or Greek, Hutu or Tutsi, north side or south side, it doesn't matter. We are all one in Christ Jesus because of the cross. If you had been there at the cross, you would have seen an executioner and a thief. The wealthy elite like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the lowly on the fringes of society like Mary Magdalene, Jew and Gentile are standing there at the foot of the cross. Totally different people. But God supernaturally brings us together in unity through the gospel. When Jesus prayed one of his final prayers in John 17, he prayed for our unity, that the church would be one so that the world would believe for the sake of the bride of Christ and for the testimony of the church, we too should pray as Christ did for unity so that the world would believe. I thank the Lord for, for this congregation here and for the sweet spirit of unity and harmony that we've experienced these last two years as we seek to build one another up in Christ and to take the gospel forth into this city. But at times, we will experience conflict. I will disappoint you. I will hurt feelings. It reminds me of hearing about how when American soldiers sometimes get into a conflict with one another, and those of you with a military background, you can correct me later if I'm totally off on this and wrong. But I heard that if a fight may break out, there are certain rules to follow. Number one, you can't hit an officer, okay, if you're an enlisted person to keep that chain of command. Number two, you can't seriously hurt the other person because the government has too much invested in you, so someone needs to be nearby to, to kind of break it up. And number three, once that fight is over, you better shake hands and you better move on because you need to trust this person because when the real battle comes, you know this person has your back. And the same thing when there's hurt, when there's conflict here in the body of Christ, let's go to one another in a loving, biblical way and speak truth and grace with transparency and honesty and do so in love, not to hurt, not to divide, not to hold grudges, but to restore and understand each other better and increase in oneness as the body of Christ because I need you and we need each other too much. And when it's done, we can apologize. We, we might agree to disagree and then we can shake hands and we can hug and I can say, I love you, brother and sister and preserve that unity and that bond of peace that we have in Christ. When I got to Africa, it was very emotional. It was a lifelong dream of mine and a dream come true just to be able to teach these 
pastors and future ministry leaders on the theology of Christ. That that's what our course was about. To declare to them the glory and the excellencies and riches found in our Savior, Christ Jesus, and to remind them that they are a great treasure in his eyes. We were all lost. We were all unable to save ourselves. But we were loved by God before the foundation of the world. And grace was extended to us and granted to us in Christ. We were all purchased for that same price. As Christ died on the cross for our sins, in his joy, for our joy, and for our unity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending us your son, Jesus, to die for us in his joy so that we might be saved if we place our faith in him alone. And I do pray and I do ask that if there's anyone here today, man or woman, boy or girl, who hasn't yet made that decision to come to faith in Christ alone, would you draw them to yourself by faith for their joy and help us as brothers and sisters help us to keep that unity that we have in Christ help us to come alongside one another to help the other grow in their walk with you I thank you for this sweet time with these folks gathered here. I pray that you bless them. I know some are here and they're, they're hurting. They're struggling. Lord, would you minister your peace, your joy to them? Because we suffer, yet we rejoice. Because we know you. You have us in the palm of your hand and you'll never let us go. Father, we thank you for this time and worship. And I pray for each person here as they go out and be the church Monday through Friday. Would you bless them and all that they put their hand to for your sake and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.